Happy to uh, dig into the I am statements of Jesus, and I hope you've been uh, blessed. By the way, if you've missed any, they're, uh, they're online. Um, I was chatting to some mates from high school last night, actually, um, after 20 years uh, of uh, graduating, and, uh, and, and a bunch of them said, oh, yeah, we've been listening to your sermons, uh, and I won't tell you what they said about them, but, uh, you know, uh, that, I was like, oh, wow, there you go, 20 years later. Um, I had a bit of a reputation at school, and so... Uh, I won't tell you what type of reputation, but uh, yeah, it was it was encouraging. But yeah, they're online. If if ever you miss uh, sermons, uh, except for the odd occasion when we forget to record them, uh, and then they're not there. Sorry, Nick. Um, but uh, yeah, this series uh, drawing uh, particularly on this book by Marcus Notter. But I'd love to pray for us uh, as we begin. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts as we open up your word. For Jesus' sake, come Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, well, I don't know if you've ever heard people sometimes, they talk about feeling like a mushroom in the workplace. Uh, you may not have uh, heard that saying uh, before, but uh, they're kind of talking about their experience of being at work being like that of a mushroom. In other words, they're kept in the dark and occasionally have a whole lot of manure thrown all over them. Uh, have, you heard of, have, you, have you heard of that, feeling like a mushroom uh, in the workplace? I don't know if that's an accurate description of mushroom cultivation, um, but it certainly uh, describes some people's experience of uh, the workplace. Uh, they also talk about mushroom management, uh, where the managers just won't tell the people beneath them what on earth is going on in the company. They just kind of give them work to do without knowing how it fits in or why on earth they're even doing it uh, in the first place. In other words, uh, they're just kept in the dark. Um, But feeling like a mushroom isn't just a problem in the workplace, it can be a problem in life as well. Have you ever found yourself thinking, or do you know people around you thinking, well, what on earth am I doing here? What's the point? Why on earth am I even doing this? You know, sleep, awake, work, etc., over and over again. It's not just a feeling at work, it can be a feeling in life as well. Uh, Of course, in the workplace, there's probably something you can do about it if you're feeling like a mushroom. You can go to your manager and you can talk to them about the way that you're feeling and see if you can find some kind of solution. But what if you're feeling that way in life? Who do you talk to then? Well, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness and will have the light of of life. So if you're in the dark, Jesus is the light. But what does that mean? What, what does Jesus actually mean when he says, I am the light of the world? Uh, we have this uh, poetry and imagery everywhere in our culture of, of darkness and light. Hello, darkness, my own friend, I've come to talk to you again. Uh, there's a There was a book review in The Australian of a book that's only come out very recently by Veronica Della Dora. The title is this, Where Light in Darkness Lies, The Story of the Lighthouse. This has just come out in May this year, and I read the book review, and, and she reflects on the lighthouse as a kind of spiritual metaphor for life that's actually pointing to a a spiritual reality much larger than itself. And so she says, for millennia, lighthouses have saved innumerable lives. Um, Without them, a ship could fall victim to the fury of a sudden storm, its sails destroyed, its hull capsized, its crew and load forever lost, uh, 
in the abyss. But then of the lighthouse, she says, there's something at once nostalgic and reassuring about its trembling light shining in the dark. It conjures up the image of a solitary who keeps vigil while the world is asleep. So there's no shortage of imagery and poetry in our culture of darkness and light. But, but what is it that Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the light of the world? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And, and it's really two things that, that, that we're going to see. First, we are in darkness. And secondly, Jesus is the light. So, so let's look at that together. First, we are in the dark. Now, the idea that Jesus is the light of the world is very much the theme of chapter 9. So he says, I'm the light of the world in verse 5. Have a look at uh, of chapter 9. And I do hope uh, you'll keep the passage uh, open. We're going to be skipping um, back and forth uh, in chapter 9 and, and other parts of John. But in verse 5 of chapter 9, Jesus says, As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But the story begins in verse 1. As Jesus walked along, he saw a blind man from birth. Now, it's not very often that we see people who are blind from birth in our society. So it's hard for us to uh, empathise or understand what that experience is like. But, but it's actually quite common in, in lots of the world and has been throughout uh, history. This guy would have been totally dependent on the people around him. I try to imagine for a bit. Unable to see your husband or wife if you were married... Unable to see your kids if, if you had kids. Unable to see a sunset or the ocean or the beach or, or a flower. And never seen the smile on someone's face. In fact, don't even know what a face looks like. Born in darkness. It's a troubling picture. Marcus Notter talks about a time when, uh, during Christmas, he went caroling in his little village that he grew up in with, with a bunch of people. And he talks about the time where he visited this elderly widow who was blind. And he remembers filing into her house on a dark, cold winter night. And they uh, went through the front door into the living room where this blind, elderly widow was sitting in this room that was completely dark. Well, she didn't need to have the lights on. There was kind of this double darkness that she was in. She was, she was in the dark because she was blind, but then she was in a, a dark room as well. It's, it's a terrible picture, but it's also very relevant because it's a picture of the human condition. You see, blindness is a picture of the human condition. According to the WHO, the World Health Organization, there are 36 million people in the world today who are blind. But according to the Bible, there's 7.6 billion people on the planet today who were born blind. Every single one of them born blind, blind from birth, not physically, but spiritually that's what the Bible says about the human condition. And so we see this blind beggar sitting by uh, the road and, and we uh, feel sorry for his terrible situation and, and rightly so that we should. But, but the Bible is actually saying that's actually you. That's a picture of your spiritual condition and the condition in which you were born. You're in the dark, blind from birth. 
We heard about Isaiah 9 and the scripture with the kids from Kate this morning. It says in Isaiah 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. That's that famous Christmas passage in Isaiah 9. But it's a really powerful theme all throughout John's gospel. And it's actually in the introduction, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. So in verse 5, John says, the light, that's Jesus, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So this darkness is talking about a spiritual darkness. It's talking about a moral darkness into which we are born. That although we were made by God and for God, we've all gone our own way. And as a human race, we've rejected the light of the world and his loving rule over us. And because of this, the whole world has been plunged into darkness. But it's a spiritual darkness. So God is light. And we've rejected him and we find ourselves on the wrong side of him, alienated from him and in the dark spiritually. Last week I mentioned Freddie Mercury, the the lead singer of Queen, where he asks the question, does anybody know what we're living for? Well, that's the kind of question you ask when you're in the dark. But, But Jesus describes being in the dark in two ways that I want to go through with you. Well, what does it mean to be... In the dark. And the first is in chapter 11, verse 10. He says, But those that walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. Those that walk at night stumble. I don't know if you've ever had experience when you're at home and it's the middle of the night, dark, you need to get up. You want to be extra careful that you don't wake anyone up, especially if you've got young kids. And so you're kind of groping around in the dark and it just so happens that uh, your arms are out like this in such a way that that the door is kind of open in such a way that that neither hand actually kind of hits the door that's kind of open like this and you just go bang into the side of the door and make a huge noise anyway and you wake up everyone in the house in the process. Has that happened to anyone or is it it's it's just me? Well well Jesus is this picture those who are in the dark stumble Being spiritually in the dark means that we stumble. We don't think as we should. We don't act as we should. We don't live as we should. And so in the process, we cause ourselves a whole lot of pain, but we also cause a whole lot of pain to the people around us because we're stumbling around in the dark. So that's one way Jesus talks about spiritual darkness. But the other way is in chapter 12, verse 35, where Jesus says, if you walk in darkness... You do not know where you're going. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you, you've got an appointment, something really uh, important. Um, it might be a family wedding or it might be a work engagement. In my case, it was a speaking engagement and it's really important and you get your phone out and you sat nav and you, you put it in and you want to be extra careful uh, that you've got it right. So you kind of double check you've got the address and you, you triple check that you've got the address and then you, you get on your, your way uh, to this uh, important occasion and as you go further and further out into the countryside, you realise that the mobile phone reception out in the countryside is not particularly reliable and you go down from four bars to three bars, two bars, one bars to being completely disconnected from the internet and the navigation system and you've got no idea, absolutely no idea where you're going on this important occasion. Has anyone had that experience? 
Well, this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, if you walk in darkness, you do not know where you are going. Jesus is saying is that's what it's like to be in the dark spiritually. You don't know where you're going or what you're doing, and it's really important. It's a matter of life or death that you know. This is how the 20th century atheist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre put it when he wrote, Everything is indeed permitted if God does not exist. And man is in consequence forlorn, for he cannot find anything to depend upon either within or outside himself. Jean-Paul Sartre, the atheist philosopher, is saying once that we've lost God as the infinite reference point, we have nothing eternal to measure our journey by, and it thus becomes hard to know if we're doing anything meaningful at all. That's in the words of Jean-Paul Sartre. Now, I don't know if you can relate to any of that, but that's how Jesus describes the human condition, that apart from God, we're in the dark. We're blind spiritually from birth because of our rejection of God. And so we're in the dark in the way that we think, in the way that we live, and in the way that we act. But, you know, our present darkness isn't actually our biggest problem because You know, elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus talks about an ultimate darkness, a place that he describes as the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, in Jesus' words. This is a place of ultimate darkness and alienation from God and all of his goodness and all of the good gifts that we now enjoy. It's a place that Jesus called hell. Ultimate darkness. We do not know where we're going in the dark, and and that is where we're going whilst we're in the dark. Sam Albury relays a a story that he heard on the news about an elderly man who was evidently very confused. He was uh, found himself in the middle of the night somehow driving down the wrong side of the freeway. Uh, He'd managed to get some distance without realising it, and then there were obviously people who uh, saw what he was doing, and they must have called the police or whoever, and and the police were able to pull up alongside him and and wave him down and pull him off the the, the freeway and get him out of danger. Now, now, no one was hurt because it was the middle of the night, and and there weren't many cars on the road, but, but imagine if he'd been doing that in the middle of the day during rush hour. You see, what Jesus is saying about our condition is that left to ourselves, we're driving through life the wrong way and we're about to meet the rush hour of God's kingdom coming full bore in the other direction. That's our condition, in the dark. So what are we to do about it? Well, Jesus says in John 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness and will have the light of light. We're to follow Jesus. Jesus has come to rescue us out of the darkness and to fill our lives with light. He came to rescue us from spiritual darkness, yes, but he came to rescue us from eternal and ultimate darkness. Do you remember how when Jesus hung on the cross, it was the middle of the day, and we're told in Matthew's Gospel, in the middle of the day, as Jesus hung on the cross, suddenly darkness covered the whole land for three hours. Do you remember that? Jesus, the light of the world, the light of life, 
was dying for our sins in our place. He was experiencing in himself all the darkness that our deeds deserve, of our wrong thoughts and wrong motives and wrong actions. He was absorbing that darkness into himself and he paid the penalty for our sin. But then by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised to life and that dark tomb that he laid in was filled with light as he burst out of the tomb, the risen Lord of life. And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have that light of life through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the forgiveness of sins. You'll never walk in darkness, he says. So no longer stumbling around in the dark without a sense of your purpose, a sense of meaning, a sense of identity, a sense of aim, but but filled with purpose and identity, filled with the Holy Spirit every step of the way to guide us and to lead us and to change us and strengthen us and encourage us. That's what Jesus says he can do for us. But can he really? Where's the evidence? Where's, where's the proof? If you, hear, you were here last week, we said that the substantiation is in, is in the sign, if you remember And so it is in this case with the blind beggar in in chapter 9. In verse 5, it says Jesus spat on the ground and made mud with with the saliva, kind of gross. And then he spread it on the man's eyes. And then he tells him to go off and wash. And, And the man walks away from Jesus blind to do what he says. And he comes back with his eyes open. This man born blind. And so what Jesus did physically for this man, he can do spiritually for us. That's why John calls them signs. They're pointing to a spiritual reality that what he can do physically for the blind man, he can do spiritually for us. It's the proof. It's the evidence that he really is the light of the world. And he has the power to do what he says. Many people through the ages have experienced this kind of light. Charles Wesley, the way that he puts it so beautifully, is long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. It's exactly the response that Jesus is calling for. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So not follow him on Twitter, not follow him on Instagram or or Facebook. No, to, to believe in him, to trust in him, to live for him. So in John 12, 46, Jesus says, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. It's an extraordinary promise that Jesus is making. Never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. But the thing that's so shocking about this story is that people didn't like it. If you read John 9, they did not like for one bit what he was doing or what he was saying. Have you heard of Fred Hollows? Have you seen those ads of Fred Hollows uh, Institute? He, he was, he's a famous ophthalmologist, New Zealand's most famous ophthalmologist, except uh, he became an Australian citizen, so we claim him as, 
as our own most famous ophthalmologist. He, he did extraordinary things. Uh, I, I was reading up on it this week. Here's some of the things that he, he did. He spent three years visiting Aboriginal communities to provide eye care and carry out a survey of eye defects. Get this, more than 460 Aboriginal communities were visited and 62,000 Aboriginal people were examined, leading to 27,000 being treated for trachoma and 1,000 operations being carried out. He was an extraordinary man. It was great reading up on him this week. Now, in response to all that he accomplished in recovering sight to the blind, he was heaped with um, accolade upon accolade and award upon award. So there was a list, a whole page of 25 awards that were heaped upon him, and rightly so, for what he did, including in 1990 becoming the Australian of the Year being named as New Zealand's most 100 influential people, Australia's most 100 influential people. But the response to Jesus of healing a man, not with trachoma, but but healing a man born blind, is met not with commendation, but with condemnation. It's not met with happiness, but is met with hostility. You compare that to Fred Hollows and, well, what on earth is going on here? And, and it gets so far beyond the absurd that, that they, they, Pharisees, they interview this man and they say, well, what's going on? What happened here? And he, they, he tries to tell them, well, Jesus healed me. And they refuse to hear it. And so then they go, well, let's try and get his parents. And they interrogate his, his parents and they say, well, Jesus healed the man. And, and they, they refuse to hear it. They get so upset that ultimately it gets so ridiculous that they end up banning this man from ever entering the synagogue again and plotting to, starting to plot to kill Jesus. That's their response to Jesus' healing of the man born blind. And you just go, what on earth? earth is going on here? How could such a wonderful, compassionate, good deed for this man born blind be met with such vicious hostility? Well, we're given the answer in chapter 3, verse 19, where Jesus says, John says, light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. It's a well-known fact that um, well-lit areas are are a good crime prevention technique. So if you go on the crime prevention website, Police uh, Victoria, it says improving lighting can be an effective crime prevention tool because it can improve surveillance and increase the risk of offenders being detected. Well, that's what John's saying about us. We, we don't want to be detected. We, we know that we've done wrong. We, we know that we haven't done right, and we don't want to be exposed. That, that's why over the last decade we've, we've had to have so many royal commissions with special powers to, to kind of uncover what's happened in, in the aged care system or the banking or, or in institutions because of this tendency of us, isn't it, to, to not want our dark deeds to be exposed. Uh, to a lesser extent, it's like when I go to, uh, to the men's room and look in the mirror here at St. Phillips and I go, whoa, look in the mirror. Is, do I really look like that? 
I, man, I much prefer the, the lighting in our bathroom at home. It, it, it casts me in a much better light. Men, do you relate to that? Or is it just the, the lighting? It, you know, we talk about, we have this phrase, seeing things in the cold, hard light of day, don't we? And so it is with us. We think we're pretty good most of the time. We think that we're all right. That is, of course, until we meet the light of the world and our dark deeds are exposed in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and the dirt and the mark and the evil of our hearts is exposed and we don't want that and so we run away. But however uncomfortable that exposure is, it's actually what we need. Because you know what? The light that exposes is also the light that heals and the light that cleanses and the light that restores. The light that exposes is the same light that cleanses and heals and restores, which highlights what a tragedy it is when people refuse to come into the light and run away because they forgo the cleansing and the renewal and the forgiveness of sins through the light of life. And we see this tragedy play out. In in chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I've come into the world, so that the blind will see, hooray, and those who see will become blind. He's come so that those who see will become blind. He's talking about the religious leaders and the Pharisees, isn't he? who thought that they were okay, who thought that they didn't need Jesus, who thought that they could already see. And they're so offended by Jesus that in verse 40 they say, are we blind? Are you saying that we're blind too? They're they're outraged. They protest that Jesus would make such a claim of them. And so in judgment they're plunged into even greater darkness and they become even more blind than they already were, as it were, blinded by the light. So in verse 41, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. See, many people reject Jesus' diagnosis, don't they, that that we're blind. They, They find it offensive. They find this claim of Jesus offensive. People like to think of themselves as enlightened. So it might be through the rational sciences, you know, that have come through what we've called the enlightenment from the middle 18th century, that they're enlightened through the rational sciences. Or for some people, uh, they're enlightened through things like Buddhism or Eastern mysticism or meditation or yoga and and, and this idea of looking inside yourself and and finding the light within and, and having that kind of light. People don't like to be told that they're in darkness. But Jesus is saying that if we reject him, we are in darkness. We condemn ourselves to staying in the dark spiritually and eternally. But of course, that's not what he wants. That's not why he came into the world. He, he came in the light of the world to, to bring light into our lives. But he puts a very stark choice in front of us. You could say that it's black or white. You could say darkness or light. That's the, poise, that's the choice that he puts before us. There's a story of a captain of a ship who, who looked out into the dark night and he saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately he told his signalman to send a message out, alter your course 10 degrees south. 
promptly a message returned and it was received, alter your course 10 degrees north. Well, the captain was angered at this and his command had been ignored, so he sent a second message, alter your course 10 degrees south, I am the captain. Soon another message was received, alter your course 10 degrees north, I'm seaman third class Jones. Well, immediately now the captain was really upset and he, knowing the fear that it would provoke, he sent out another message saying, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. You see, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it's incredibly good news. It really is incredibly good news. But it's not up for negotiation. Jesus isn't kind of offering to enter into some kind of bargain with us about who he is and what he's done and, and what he's like and what will it mean to follow him. No, no, no. He says, I am. He says, I am who I am. So the right response is either you bow down to him and you worship him for all that he is and all that he's done and you receive the great I am in all of his grace and all of his goodness and all of his glory or you decide to reject him and you end up out in the darkness. You see, all the metaphors about Jesus in our society and culture, or sorry, about darkness uh, and light, of all the metaphors, the, the thing that makes Jesus different is that apart from him, all we have is darkness. But friends, hear the good news. In him, all we have is light. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he really did take in all of the darkness and evil of our hearts. And when he rose, he really did fill us with his glorious light through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's so much light in our Lord Jesus, the great I am, that he can even say to his followers, not only I am the light of the world, but he says to us, you are the light of the world. There's so much light I have to share around that you are the light of the world. And there's so much light in our Lord Jesus that we're able to say all around the world, throughout all history, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord Jesus make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord Jesus, the light of, his, the, light of the world, lift up his face upon you and make his countenance shine upon you and give you his peace. There's so much light in Jesus that it says in Revelation 21, in that city there'll be no more sun and there'll be no more moon because the glory of God will be the light and the Lamb will be its light. There's so much light in Jesus. And so he says to us this morning, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
we praise you that you didn't leave us in the dark when we turned our back on your light. But you sent Jesus, the light of the world, to rescue us so that we would never walk in darkness but have the light of life. Father, we do pray that you would give us great confidence in the light that you give us because Jesus took all of the darkness of our hearts in himself on the cross. Would you give us great confidence by your spirit that when he returns, there'll be no need for the sun or the moon because Jesus himself and the glory of the Lord will be the light. Father, would you seal on us that wonderful promise in 2 Corinthians 4 that as we gaze upon him with veils removed face to face, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. Come by your spirit and fill us with this light. In Jesus' name, amen.